0: Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. welcome to reform this. It is great to be back with you. hope you had a great week and a lot to talk about. I uh, hope your batteries are full and uh, you are ready to go. Uh, There is uh, never a want of conversation to talk about the uh, battlefronts of the battle against Islamism, the war against political Islam, if you will. And I bring to you this debate from this topic, these ideas from your humble American Muslim patriot, your humble beginnings of what we see as a reform movement it has to start somewhere and i think you're part of the revolution whether you're muslim or not muslim i bring it to you the way i think it is and in this program hopefully you can share it find us on blaze backslash podcasts find us on soundcloud on itunes and share subscribe it's great to have you back if you've listened before if you're new I think you're in for a treat. I talk about things here that uh, sometimes you just don't get the time to on the little four-minute clip on Fox News or on Fox Business Network or CNN, MSNBC, wherever I might be interviewed. Um, But it is always great to uh, get the word out wherever it is possible. So, before I start, I have to tell you, you know, Valentine's Day week is always... Treat for me. I've been married to my lovely wife Rada for twenty-one years, and our anniversary is on Valentine's Day. And uh, you know she puts up with a lot. Uh, people forget that uh, behind every successful man or woman uh, is a partner, a soulmate uh, that uh, makes the work possible, that makes peace of mind possible. And uh, our anniversary. Happens to be on Valentine's Day, it wasn't a coincidence I was in the Navy in 1998 And President's Day happened to fall on Valentine's Day weekend, that happened to be on a Saturday So uh, we decided to get married on Valentine's Day And I got to get a uh, four day Brief honeymoon before We uh, took off Uh, I went back to work and then few weeks later, was able to take my honeymoon with my new bride. But at the end of the day, we got married on Valentine's Day. And, you know, it always reminds me not only of how wonderful my life has been since I've been a husband, since now I'm a father of three, but I just love to stick the finger in the eye of the Salafis, the fundamentalists who reject Valentine's Day, that it is haram. You cannot celebrate Valentine's Day. It is a it is a part of Western society that deals in love, not in human beings. This is the Saudi mantra. Now the Saudis have um to their credit been starting to push that back last year. I don't know about this year. I haven't heard yet news, but last year they started to allow people to publicly talk about Valentine's Day. You certainly can't do it in Iran and many of the other Islamist nations that uh, use the Wahhabi doctrine of no invention, no bida, or no new modernizations. And God forbid somebody express their public passion, their public love for one another. And, I know, you know, I think it's relevant to reform. You find that a tribal society run by theocrats causes such repression emotionally, individually, sexually, that it creates pathology. It creates individuals that are constantly angry, that are constantly seeking to end their lives through suicide because they create fictitious concepts of heaven— with misogynistic concepts of 72 virgins, and it goes on from there. So behind every bizarre ruling, I think, is a pathway to understanding some of the core beliefs of theocrats. The rejection of Valentine's Day is both rooted in misogyny, rooted in core sexual dysfunction— if you will, inability to be themselves, uh, rooted in a violence, if you will, against human nature. So they force repression of natural human emotions in order to prevent human beings from being natural. Now, this is not against modesty. This is not against humility. You can have a humble, modest culture without suppressing... Mm -hmm. Emotions that are natural and normal, which is love, and that's what Valentine's Day is about. So, hope you all had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Hope you have loving relationships in your life that uh, bring you blessings and bring you a sense of comfort. And if you don't, may you find them as soon as possible because it is a wonderful thing. You know, I know this is uh, a trough that we keep coming back to and is a gift that keeps on giving. But I do think that in various examples of her dysfunction, idiocy, illiteracy, whatever it might be, we'll talk about them, there is a ton, there is a treasure trove of educational material for all of you to understand what we're up against and the layers of pathology as you peel the onion of political Islam. And I have to tell you, as painful as this is, the number one thing I want you to remember is, for so many years we've been fighting radical Islamists who I tried to tell you, well, you know, the Keith Ellisons of the world, they pretend to 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 say they're pro-Israel, but yet they have this past where he was the spokesperson for Louis Farrakhan, where uh, he takes trips to Mecca with the Muslim Brotherhood, Muslim American Society, or on and on, where I talked about him being a dissimulator or performing what some call taqiyya, but dissimulation or pandering is the same thing. Lying in order to present oneself as being something they are not. With Ilhan Omar, we're finding that she's just unhinged. What you see is what you get, and it's a radical leftist Islamist who is anti-American, travels in conspiracy theories, and is deeply anti-Semitic. What happened this week? Let me just, for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, from the 5th District of Minnesota, they elected in November Ilhan Omar, a Somali refugee, who has a very controversial history, and I'll let you look that up. We've talked about some of it here. But she goes ahead and tweets this week, uh, responding initially to a tweet from Glenn Greenwald, who is one of the founding fathers of the Snowden affair, who released troves of documents and uh, and gave Snowden the media capability to do that. Lives in Brazil and is uh, pro-Hamas, has raised money for care and repeatedly, and is uh, basically anti-Israel. Uh, his tweet said the GOP leader, Kevin McCarthy, threatens punishment for Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib over their criticism of Israel. It's stunning how much time U.S. political leaders spend defending a foreign nation even if it means attacking free speech rights of Americans. Ilhan retweets that with a comment above it. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Obviously, linking that to money. Lobbying money. And then over that, she then tweets, APAC. So, she linked a pro-Israel lobbying organization that deals with policy does not give any money contrary to her insinuations does not give any money to candidates is a policy lobbying arm and organization and quickly she received condemnation from most bipartisan on the very few things that they've agreed in both parties she received significant condemnation. Her interviews were... Her commentaries were, were self-righteous. Uh, she was asked if they thought she thought she was going to be removed from committee. She said absolutely not while she was chewing gum next to an elevator responding to questions. But then, in almost like what appeared to be a hostage video, she was forced to give an apology, and that apology from her said... And it's a non apology, but listen for yourself. She said, Anti Semitism is real, and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti Semitic tropes. My intention is never to offend my constituents or Jewish Americans as a whole. We have to always be willing to step back and think through criticism, just as I expect people to hear me when others attack me for my identity. Notice, she couldn't even get through three lines before bringing it back to her victimization. This is why I unequivocally apologize. Unequivocally? You've already equivocated twice. She then goes on, at the same time, I reaffirm the problematic role of our lobbyists in our politics, whether it be APAC, the NRA, or the fossil fuel industry. Oh, there it is. She named APAC with NRA and fossil fuel In her apology as being problematic role of lobbyists, it's gone on too long and we must be willing to address it. So when President Trump and left and right were talking about the swamp and the problem of the revolving door of lobbying arms, influence politics deals with shifting policy out of proportion to public opinion. People need a voice. 600,000 people cannot go to Congress so they have a member of Congress. Activists to a cause cannot all go to Congress so they create organizations and movements to shift that policy. At the lowest point pro-Israel policy, pro-Israel sentiments in America are 70-75%. Some say it's upwards of 90% of Americans not only believe in the state of Israel, believe they're an ally, but support them and have favorable attitudes towards them. That's from a Gallup poll from just two, three years ago, 2016. So this is not a lobbying arm that is shifting public opinion different from what it is. It is providing a voice against the maelstrom of anti-Semitism, against the maelstrom of pro-Egyptian government, of pro-Muslim brotherhood coming from petro-Islamic countries of Qatar and others, and especially the domestic organizations that skew the opinion of Muslims against what the majority of Muslims believe and allow radicals like Ilhan Omar to be elected. So if there's anyone that should be a bit quiet when it comes to the influence of lobbies, it's somebody who represents a constituency that's barely 3-4% of her district, and yet somehow she got elected. Somebody who's received thousands of dollars from the Council on American-Islamic Relations that also networked nationally Islamic organizations to provide fundraising on her behalf so the hypocrisy is is unbelievable and then she tweets oh listening and learning but standing strong and then oh by the way it was well it was well reported on about how she then used her victimization to raise money to send emails out asking for money and received Support from the likes of the Arab American Institute and Jim Zoghbi received support from MPAC, who the Muslim Public Affairs Council, the Council on American-Islamic Relations that all circled the wagons of the Islamist American industry, the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, that their newfound icon, their newfound icon was being targeted by the Jews. Their anti-Semitism is gross. It's repulsive, and it is obvious. It is obvious. So, congratulations, Keith Ellison. Congratulations, you have given birth in your in your district five. Your Democratic uh, leadership has given birth to a radical Islamist to represent your community, to represent your district. And her apology was obviously forced. And let me let me leave you here with two very important teaching moments, I think, in this before we get to her other bizarre behavior this week. And this is all relevant, again, not just to pile on to one new congresswoman, but to tell you this is what we're up against. Constantly, we are, as reformers, as Muslims who love our faith, given very little platforms be it in mainstream american media or even within the muslim communities because the islamists control most of them and they put up half wits who are not ready for prime time who are radicals but who toe the line of conspiracy theories anti-semitism and collectivism so two things to learn ladies and gentlemen number one when you think about ilhan omar what does she represent Don't allow your inner emotions to take over your feelings about what we're talking about here. This isn't about, there's nothing bigoted here in in criticizing her. The the far left, be it Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders, whatever it might be, there are some radical economic ideas coming out of them too. We saw Cortez this week. Amazon pulled billions out of New York, and she had the idiocy to say that, well, we can take the $3 billion and just give them jobs. We didn't lose any money. Excuse me, third grader. The $3 billion in New York that's getting pulled out was going to come from Amazon's investment in the region, not from the government. So even basic economics, they don't know. And the same thing's happening with Ilhan. Her, her fund of knowledge, her understanding of American politics and history is so so blatantly vacant she's not only not qualified to be a congresswoman but she is exposing all of the guttural absurdities because twitter the the current viral nature of attention to radicals if you will has forced a situation in our culture where the wackiest things seem to all of a sudden get attention and she's fitting the mold So it's not about whether she's Muslim or has a hijab or is from Somalia or anything. It's about the fact that she represents a radical. Ladies and gentlemen, her ideas are what radicalizes our community. So back to the two things. The two things you should learn and get an education on are that this is the way dyed-in-the-wool Islamists think. Just like Bernie Sanders, Cortez, and others are teaching you about socialism and they're openly proud socialists, Ilhan Omar is a proud Islamist. Islamist is not terrorist, is not somebody that believes always in the ends justifying the means and terrorism. As I've told you on this program before, Islamists believe in a worldview. So you're getting an education of a worldview that is anti-American, a worldview that sees America behind the evil in the world, the al Shabab's as products of American radicalism, and they're the innocent Somalis that just have to revert to terrorism. Why else a few weeks ago would she testify that an ISIS convictee should get half the sentence that he was given? Why else? Because he's a victim of the West. Why else would over 40 to 50 jihadis come from either her district or the surrounding area in Minneapolis? And not once has she spoken up about it because internally she blames America. She blames Obama's countering violent extremism program. Look it up. See what her positions were. So full frontal Islamism. Congressman Ellison didn't give you that from the same district. Now that he's Attorney General in Minnesota? No, he didn't give you that. He knew how to dissimulate, dissemble, pretend to be something he wasn't. But now in the age of, she already has over half a million followers, uh, uh, you, you want to be authentic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, authentic Islamism is what we deal with every day. So she shows at the crux, at the core of Islamism is a collectivization of faith. And what better, what easier way for them to collectivize faith than to collectivize the Jewish community? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is definition of anti-Semitism. She even retweeted a guy that said, you know what, I'm critical of Israel. And and apparently she thought because he had a Jewish name that that uh, uh, must be something she should retweet. But then he said, What she said equates us as having hooked noses. I guess she didn't understand that that was a criticism of her as being an anti Semite. A gross, grotesque, abhorrent anti Semite. So, Islamism, political Islam, is a collectivist mantra, collectivist ideology that collectivizes not only Muslims as all agreeing to the Islamist tent, whether we like to or not, but collectivizing other faiths, be it Christians, Jews, or others. And that's what she does, and thus is the anti-Semitic tropes. Her apology is not an apology, it was a hostage video, and yet even within the four lines she wrote, she again criticized APAC, showing her ignorance, not even knowing what it really was and then raise money on it. By the way, her attempts to raise money, sending out emails saying, oh, I'm a victim, go to ilhanomar.com and support my work, my great work, and care did the same thing, and others have done the same thing. So you can't humbly, genuinely, with integrity apologize, and then raise money from the same pandering, radical, anti-semites and actually believe that's going to come across as an apology because if it really was an apology she would have said here's a real apology I am now coming to understand that my opinions about APAC about Israel are rooted in an ideology of anti-semitism that's part of the political islamism that i was raised in and i'm here to reject that and i reject organizations that are islamist <laughs> she needs to then say my apology you won't hear from me now for a while because i'm going to an anti-islamist rehab camp i'm going into rehab yeah i know that doesn't exist it should we should have muslim reformers that uh have institutes that basically could function to to rehab individuals that don't understand Islamism that need to or want to come clean as Majid Nawaz, as Tawfiq Hamid, as so many prior radicals have come, come clean of Islamism. Second, you are learning not only about Islamism and its collectivism and theocracy, you are learning of the connection between the left and Islamism. The left, the red-green axis that I've talked to you about. Her anti-Zionism, Omar's anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are entwined, and they are entwined along with the left's socialism. That's why you can't get left media to have any reform voices on it, because they're too busy with the identity politic. They love to collectivize minority checkboxes for people to join their cause regardless of what they were. We saw it with the Women's March and their inability to marginalize Farrakhan's ideas. We saw it with Bernie Sanders' campaign and his fealty to the uh, radical Palestinians and the, the Arabist movements of Zorbi and others. We've seen the red-green axis not only here in America but across the world where you see Russia working with Iran, China working with Iran, the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the 56 countries that are basically the neo-caliphate run by the most powerful of them being Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Qatar. We see their axis with large communist nations. So the left's partnership with Islamists is deep. You need to understand that. And I think Omar is finally giving Americans an education to what that is, why they can't condemn. Oh, they did come around to beginning to condemn Governor Northrum this week because of the photo from his medical school yearbook, the bizarre photo of him standing next to a KKK member in blackface. They seem to quickly condemn that calling for his resignation. And yet, you have a rabid anti-Semite who then, let's follow this up. What happened next? Later this week, in a hearing that was supposed to be about the the human rights abuses in Venezuela, that included an American patriot, Elliot Abrams, who is appointed recently by President Trump, to become the envoy to Venezuela to help lead the administration policy for Secretary Pompeo into Venezuela. And I served with Mr. Abrams, who has an unbelievable fund of knowledge, experience both within the State Department, within the White Houses, of, from the Bush administrations, from both Bush administrations, the Reagan administration especially. I served with him on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom for two years. I was on there for four. And he's just an unbelievable advocate for human rights and democracy. I'm not even going to give time of day to the issues Congresswoman Omar tried to present, and then you listen to her. I was going to play the audio for you, but I don't think I'm even going to. It's just so repulsive. In her five minutes that was supposed to be questions to Mr. Abrams, she opened by calling him Mr. Adams. Now, I don't know if in her head she was confused because she's trying to remember all the presidents and the first few presidents that include some Adams uh, confused her. As she's trying to think about how to give tours to her major constituents that are coming to, you, remember, you know, all the members of Congress like to give tours to their constituents of, of the Capitol. Seriously, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And then she couldn't pronounce Iran-Contra. She couldn't pronounce the, the site of the massacre. So she started to cite the massacre and asked Mr. Abrams if it was a fabulous achievement. I mean, she, she tripped over herself. It was frankly shameful. I wouldn't doubt it if that was the first time she read that question. It was handed to her by her Islamist supporters, aides. And actually somebody laid out on Twitter the series of events where Al Jazeera had an unsigned piece on the day before the hearing that included an attack on Abrams and it was announced that he was going to be testifying and Then she laid out the same questions, and then it was re-aired on Al Jazeera. So, ladies and gentlemen, she talked about the Benjamins and an anti-Semitic trope that Jewish money is controlled in the United States and all that other offensive nonsense. When in fact, I think the actual money that's controlling, it seems to be Al Jazeera's Qatari Rials, seems to be influencing questions she's asking on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I'd like to know how she passed a security clearance. That's what I want to know. I went through so many hoops when I had a top-secret clearance in the U.S. Navy. What hoops did she go through? Yes, she was elected to Congress, but before Pelosi gives her coveted clearances on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, shouldn't the American people know that she actually could pass that? She seems to be parroting the trope of foreign agents. That's what Islamism is, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a a smear. This is the reality. No different than I'd be concerned that socialists or somebody who parroted communist ideology would be at risk for sympathies with China. Look at Cortez. She can't even get herself to criticize Maduro when we know that the real legitimate president of Venezuela is Guaido. She can't get him. She can't get herself to criticize him because they believe in social socialist tyranny. Same thing for Ilhan Omar. Claim that we are going to go do regime change when there's been nothing done by the United States. This is a legitimate government that's not being allowed to take its seat after a corrupted election by dictator Maduro in Venezuela. But no, her topic of questioning wasn't questioning. She didn't even give him a chance to to respond. Mr. Abrams, who's given countless decades to this country, was basically shouted at by an indignant, self-righteous, petulant, ignorant child that didn't know, him, didn't know anything of what she was talking about. She wasn't even born yet in the Iran-Contra affair. She couldn't pronounce Contra. She probably didn't know anything about what actually happened in the Reagan administration during that time. So if you're going to ask a question of somebody who went through it, has a book about it actually, whose book many critics read and, and changed their mind about what actually happened to him, But yet she wanted to do it for her viral moment that later left most of the folks in her party embarrassed, actually. It was cringeworthy. The video of her on C-SPAN and wherever else it was attacking Mr. Abrams without a chance for him to respond. She, even when he tried to respond and he said, you're personally attacking me, I need to respond to this. She told him to shut up and be quiet, basically. She said, I'm not asking you a question. This is a statement. So why don't you just get a cardboard cutout and... And attack them. This is what Islamists do, and I think this is why I'm mentioning this to you. In that, Islamists will simply berate an individual to ridicule and demean them without any substance. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not about a a, a meritocracy of debate or of ideas. It is simply an attempt to demean and minimize for the raw meat of their supporters. And sure enough. From Al Jazeera to Salon to even Newsweek. They gave her kudos for skewering Mr. Abrams. Really? She could barely read the document in front of her. There was no skewering going on. She was simply reading propaganda that could have come from the Russians. (laughs) It could have come from... Erdogan's government, Al Jazeera, which had a post about it the day before. She just read it and pronounced half of it poorly. it It was shameful. And by the way, where are her constituents? I saw on social media some of the synagogues in her district talking about having a meeting and being very concerned. Oh, yeah, it's about time. Where were you guys when we were telling you that that you were were about to elect a radical Islamist? Nowhere to be found. So those are the two things, ladies and gentlemen. Teaching points about what Islamism is, you're going to learn a lot more. There's going to be a lot more where this came from. And again, it's not an obsession on her. It is a fact that is getting national attention. And when people say, where are the voices of modern Islam... This is the answer. The answer is that we are suffocated by platforming of radical Islamists. So let me tell you, there's, yes, her anti-Semitism is legion. It's horrible. But at the end of the day, the group that she's in, in, in the Jewish community has recovered in the last few days by the overwhelming American opinion that that put her in her place. I mean, I'm surprised she's still on that committee. She still is. Pelosi is gonna is digging in her heels, and you see the media and Pelosi making moral equivalencies with anti-Semitism from some on the right, Steve King and others. But remember, King was removed from his committees. Some may not have been that they use as an example, but she should be. But there is no moral equivalency here. She's her ideas are part of a bigger, bigger movement. But my point is. When Americans, I saw, Michael Reagan had a tweet and said, pray for America. He's afraid for his kids. He's afraid for his kids with what he saw and how radical she was. Call that exaggeration, call it what you want. Michael Reagan, the son of President Reagan, when he tweets that, that tells you a little bit about the pulse of the United States of America and what she's doing to it what she's doing to the american muslim population how she's turning i'll tell you remember the statistics i've told you before the negative opinion of islam 91291301 was 33% and that was after an attack on our homeland the largest attack since pearl harbor In 2011, it was 63% negative. What do you think is happening to that now? And the Islamists claim to be victims when in fact it is their platforming of radicals like this that is making us into a faith community that is being more feared than loved. And then if they are feared, if we talk about their radicalism, we are then called Islamophobes. Michael Reagan tweeted his fear, and I'm sure under it were folks who said, he's an Islamophobe. Well, I'm sorry, we all need to deal with the ideas of how not mainstream, how against Americanism and being in Congress should not be a on-the-job training opportunity in Americanism and what the American contract and the Constitution is and the fact that Americans are not blindly pro-Israel, that it is a country that is a normal democracy that deserves our respect for living in one of the worst neighborhoods on the planet, that deserves our respect as a state because it came out of the horror Of the genocide of the Holocaust, in which a world of barely 18 million Jews lost over a third of its population. That is what Israel is about. And she better learn about that before starting to run her mouth off on Twitter and elsewhere about AIPAC and other nonsense, where she's just putting out talking points from the Arab Institute or the Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, or the Students for Justice in Palestine, or the Muslim Students Association, or other Islamist and Arabist movements that are constantly playing the victim card and the grievance narratives rather than really dealing with what their American identity is. Let's uh, change gears a little bit. There's a story out of Britain about Amira Abbas. Amira Abbas. What's the what's big story about that? Well, she's in Syria fighting with ISIS. And there have been a number of stories now in Canada, France, Italy, Germany, Britain, of Western Muslims that have gone to fight with ISIS and now are coming back. The war's over. Assad has won. The United States is pulling out. Our two thousand troops. And so the jihadis need to come back. What do we do with that? Should they be allowed to come back? That's a long story. That's a that's an interesting question. Did they lose their citizenship? I could argue both sides of that. But before we do, the story out this week basically is saying. They interview her father. Her father, Hussein Abbas, in a tearful interview with Sky News, says that the girls made a mistake. And there's more than one, I think it's not their sisters, but one was a bride. And do not present the danger to British society. Let them come back. He wants to see his daughter again. He blamed social media for luring his daughter to Syria when she was just 15 years old. Teenagers don't contemplate things that they can, be, they can be easily tricked at. She had very limited experiences. She was exploited. And yet, as we saw, Majid Nawaz points out from the Quilliam Foundation... He said, this man took his daughter at the age of 13 to Al-Muhajirun. I'll remind you, what's Muhajirun? Al-Muhajirun was the organization banned post-9-11 because it supported 9-11. It had a pro-Al-Qaeda conference. He took her to Al-Muhajirun march, jihadist march in London. He burned British flags. And yet, years later, when... His daughter leaves for ISIS. He blames everyone but himself. As a nation, Majid points out, we must do the things that are right, but not because Islamists pretend to believe in forgiveness. This guy is not repentant. What, are you guys seeing a theme here? The Islamist apologetics, as we saw with Ilhan Omar, are fake they can't apologize at the core of theocrats is this is this self-indignant self-righteous sense of moral supremacy a dehumanization of those who disagree with them who are muslim and an even deeper dehumanization of those who are non-muslim that dare question them so this guy is a british citizen he wants his daughter to come back, and he's going to do any type of Oscar-winning performance in order to get her back. We've seen this. I I, I talked to you last year about the girl arrested on her, getting on an airplane in Alabama, and her parents were interviewed, and they were crying. We don't know how she got lured into this. We don't know. We We tried to limit her extremism, and she just got really extreme. Seriously? You look at the lifestyle that they had at home. You look behind the scenes as to what was happening. The conveyor belt of radicalization started in their home. The otherness of not being American. The conspiracy theories. The anti-Semitism. The demonization of American foreign policy. The demonization of American soldiers. The lifting up of jihadists as being courageous, but mildly misdirected soldiers. So what do we do with all these returning ISIS operatives and these jihadists? Uh, You know, I don't know the right answer yet. My gut tells me that you don't just leave them in Syria. If they wanna come back, they come back, but then you have them go to trial. You have them be subjected to a full brunt of the American legal system, of the British legal system, of the German legal system, and that they have their citizenship questioned, that they have their citizenship stripped if they actually served with ISIS, an enemy of the United States, and then they serve time, all the way up to considerations of serving time for treason, because that's what they did. But to deny them entry back is putting them through an entire legal process and judgment that I'm not sure is the way our system is supposed to work, unless we're in a point of war, which we are with ISIS. There's no doubt about that. But they're not coming with arms in hand. They're coming to subject themselves to the legal system. So, you know, obviously I'm on the side of They are enemies of the state. I'm on the side of the fact that believing that uh, these should not be treated as simply kids coming back from camp, but rather radicals returning from trying to kill us, returning from trying to attack us in the West, and they should be subjected to that. But if they were teens, if they're not adults, we need to figure out how to do this and start having a national conversation of it, not based in tears And not based in deep anger, but based in a judicial process. And as I said, with the prisoner that was brought back by the Obama administration, Bergdahl, you remember him? Yeah. Appeared that he became a Muslim. I don't know if he did. Can't remember the story in full, but all I know is that he was let off. And he should have served some time for deserting his troops, for deserting his position and station. And I know there was an investigation and all that, but I think he was let off way too light. But we need to have a conversation. The Canadians, Justin Trudeau and others, have talked about just letting these folks come back. That's absurd. There needs to be a conversation about how they violated their citizenship oaths and what that entails in adjudicating that. But this narrative of feeling sorry with tears, etc., is complete horse-you-know-what. The parents need to own up to that. Their their ideology fed the creation of the radical monsters that went to fight with ISIS against Western troops and the coalition and our allies. There's no doubt about that. And let nobody, please, there's nobody more anti-Assad than me, than my friends, than my family and others that have been fighting against Assad before any of you even knew how to spell his name. But being anti-Assad and having a common enemy with radical Islamists does not make it moderate to join ISIS. Because odds are the radicalization that Hussein did of his daughter's that went to fight was more radicalization towards anti-Westernism, anti-Semitism than it was anything to do with hating Assad. And even if it did, there's a lot of more democratic forces that they could have been supporting like the Kurds and others rather than joining freaking ISIS. Always a treat to talk to all of you, I hope. You had wonderful Valentine's. I hope you stick around with me week to week. This is the place to get the conversation about the medias, the controversial topics of the week that others just sort of skip by. Thanks for being with me. God bless. Be well. We'll see you next week. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze. TV. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser